Welcome to the Graceway Bible Church Podcast, a place to be immersed in teachings from God's Word. We hope you will be blessed by the Word of God as we discover together what our Heavenly Father wants us to understand. If you would like more information about our church, how to know Jesus as your Savior, or teachings from the Bible, visit our website, www.gracewaybc.org. Join us now as we dive into God's Word. I'm sorry, Judges chapter 6 to 8. Tell the story of Gideon. God says, no, no, I want you to do this. And so Gideon says, well, let's just make sure I'm going to put a fleece out. So he does the whole fleece thing, and God confirms that he's the man to do this job. So Gideon gets his army of 32,000 men together. They're going to go conquer this other enemy. They have over 120,000 in their army. 32,000. God says, no, 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 no. That's too many. He says, if you win the battle with that many, you're going to think you did it. I want you to know that I did it. So I want you to tell all the men who are afraid to go home. 22,000 of them went home, leaving 10,000. So now you have this army of 10,000 people that are going to go in and fight the Midians. No, 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 God says. That's too many people. So God and Gideon whittled down the group from 10,000 to 300. 300. And do you know what's going to happen next? You see, I believe that every one of the Bible stories that we have, we come to a place in the story, we stop the story, and we say, do you know what's going to happen next? Because there's anticipation of what God's going to do. And today, I want you to ask yourself that question. Do you know what is going to happen next in your life? We're going to look at that today. We're going to see how Paul is praying for us. We're going to see what God wants us to know, what he wants us to understand, what Paul is communicating to the Ephesians is the same message we need in our lives. I'm going to ask you, if you would please, to stand as I read the passage in honor of God's Word. It says this in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 to 23, For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and your love toward all the saints... I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. You may be seated. Let's go back to the beginning of this passage, and notice it starts by saying, for this reason, which draws us back to last week's message and the first part of this passage from verses 3 to 14, for this reason. And if we look back at last week, we remember there were six things about our identity. In fact, it says in Christ we have every spiritual blessing. And these were six things we looked at last week that define our spiritual identity, that we're chosen, we're redeemed and forgiven, that we're, we have this lavished grace, that God has made known to us the mystery. We've obtained an inheritance, and we're sealed with the Holy Spirit. These six things become the formation of our identity so that we can stand with confidence, 
so that we can be resilient when the storms of life come through, so that we can be able to admit in humility that we've done something wrong because we've been forgiven, that we have the ability to uh, hang in there when things are tough, we have the ability to make the changes that need to be made in our lives when those are necessary. We have this confidence because we have this identity in Christ. And that's why he says, for this reason. Because you have that, then he goes on in the passage, and he says, you have two other things I admire, he says of the Ephesians. He says two things. You have a faith and a love. Faith and a love. Now, notice the faith isn't just faith in faith itself. There's some people, they say, just believe. Just be it's like you believe in belief. That's not going to get very far. Make make you feel better. But the real power we're going to talk about today comes from your faith in Jesus Christ. You're connected to Jesus Christ. That's where the power is. And you have this faith in Jesus Christ. And, and Paul's admiring their faith that they had in Jesus Christ. It's worked out in their lives. It's, this isn't just a, a mental ascent. This is a, a discipleship faith. This is the, the faith that says, I am all in kind of a faith. And he says, your love all the saints. It comes, it's practice. It's the agape kind of love it's talked about here toward all the saints, not just the ones you like. This is for all the saints, not just the ones you feel comfortable sitting by in church. This is all the saints. Sometimes Christians will bash other Christians, and I go, oh, that's so, that's so unfortunate that that's taking place. Why do we have to do that? Let's not bash other Christians. We, we need to love all the saints. There's this admiration that Paul is describing to them of this love and this faith that they have. Now, because they have this identity and because he's admiring their love and their faith, then notice what he says. He's going to have these two reactions. His two reactions are thanks and prayer, two reactions that any of us could have at any time that we want to grow in our lives, thanksgiving and prayer. Notice, I, I mentioned before, you want to keep a, a list of all the times thanksgiving is mentioned in the Bible. It just keeps coming up over and over again. Here it is again. Thanksgiving. It's one of those things we can do anytime. I was visiting Mary Lou Seidel in the hospital uh, a few weeks ago, really struggling, and, um, and something was said about some kind thing that someone did to her, and she says, I'm going to have to tell my daughter to bring up a thank you note so I can send her a thank you card. That's just how she is. Even though she's in the hospital, she wants to send out a thank you card. Giving thanks. And also, Paul now is going to pray for them. And this is really what the passage is all about, this prayer he's going to pray. I think we all need to go home and pray this prayer for ourselves, that God is going to bless us, and he's going to show us what this prayer is all about, because this prayer changes us. It's a beautiful prayer that Paul prays. He says, remembering you in my prayers, and notice what he says first as he's remembering you in my prayers. He says, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. Do you see how the word spirit is capitalized in your version or in the book that you're taking notes there? Um, it may be capitalized. If you have another version, it might not be capitalized. In the Greek, we don't have capitalization like that. So, it's a matter of interpretation whether it's capitalized or not. If it's capitalized, then it's in reference to the Holy Spirit, which would fit well with the, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, and the Spirit. So you've got this um, expression of the Godhead there. Or it could be an attitude of wisdom. Either way, we know that the wisdom that we need in life, which is the skill to maneuver through the challenges that we have. You have challenges, roadblocks, 
open doors. Whatever those challenges might be, we all have them, and we need to maneuver wisely around them, and that wisdom comes from the Lord. I like to say to young people, if you want knowledge, go to college. If you want wisdom, go to God. Because God is the one who gives us that wisdom that we need. The spirit of wisdom and of revelation, this opening up, this understanding to reveal things to us. But notice that it's based in something. It's based in this knowledge of Him. So I want you to know what this word is. You can draw a line across, circle this word right in your notebook. This is the word epignosis. It's a special kind of knowledge. It's the knowledge you gain through experience or firsthand relationship. So if you're just learning about the faith, if you're just learning what, what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, then you want to know this is where you start. Oh, yeah, you're going to start with faith in the Lord early in the passage and the love for others. But when it comes to understanding this prayer, God, Paul is saying, I want you to have this spirit of wisdom and revelation that's embedded in the knowledge, the experiential knowledge of who God is, that you know Him personally. He's not just an academic knowledge here. We know who He is, and we're experiencing Him in, in our lives. It's this firsthand knowledge of God, and that's where we gain the wisdom. That's where we gain the revelation. So it's built into this knowledge of Him. Now, let's track where we are so far in the passage because he's saying, because you have this identity, or for this reason, you have the identity, and I admire your faith and your love, that I'm thankful and prayerful, and I'm praying that, that God will reveal you to you this wisdom that you need for life, and now he's going to take us in to this very crux of the passage. I would say this next phrase is the phrase you want to underline or, or put a light bulb by it. That's what I did because it's enlightened. This is the passage or the, the phrase in the passage that stands out. When you go home today, this is what I hope you're going to remember, that God wants you to experience this enlightenment, if I could use that word. It's having the eyes, it's an interesting play on words, eyes ophthalmos in the Greek, hearts is cardia, I mean, those are things we already know, and enlightened is this word photizo. Photizo, it means to illumine. Paul is praying, I just... Pray that your eyes will be illumined. This idea is that God will help you see the deeper understanding of life, that the light bulb will come on, or the light switch will be turned on in your life so that you can see things you didn't see before because now you have the spiritual understanding that makes all things make sense now. We don't have all the answers, but we know who does. In fact, I don't need to know everything in my life. I just need to know one thing, about the person who knows everything. I need to have that knowledge in him, of him, in him. And when I have that knowledge in him, then Paul is praying that you'll have these, the lights turned on in your life. Jesus Christ refers to himself as the light of the world. The idea is that he lightens everything up so we get it. It makes sense. And then we have this light that we shine before men so other people can see him, who he is. But this is more than that. This isn't just being a witness to other people. This is so that you and I can have the light bulb turned on in our hearts. Because when the light switch comes on in our hearts, good things happen. We then can see things we didn't see before. We're enlightened. Notice that Paul is not praying that they will get something that they don't have. That's how we often pray. Lord, give me something, and it's something we don't have, and we want it now. He's saying, Lord, I just pray that they'll be able to see what they already do have. And this is when the light bulb comes on. 
I already have this. This is great. I need this. And if you have this knowledge in him, this experiential knowledge in God, the personal relationship with him, then the light bulb comes on. You go, yes, I have these things. And the next word there in the passage is that you may know. Now, this is a different word for know than we saw earlier. Remember earlier the word knowledge was experiential knowledge, firsthand knowledge. This is a different word. This is the word oida, which means to see or perceive that I can see life differently now. Just think about the challenge that you're experiencing. Maybe God wants you to do something different in your life than you're doing now. And God's going to give you the power to do that today because the light's going to come on. You say, I have the power to do that. Maybe it's the power to stay within your current situation right now because that's what God wants you to do. That you may know, that you may perceive that's what wisdom is. Often wisdom is seeing the future consequences of my present decisions. The person who's wise is a person who can see the decisions they're making right now have lasting impact. They're going to affect life down the road. And, and Paul is praying that these people would have this wisdom. This wisdom that comes from the light being, light switch being turned on. And so now they can see more clearly what life is all about. How do you outline this passage? I'm going to suggest we let the passage outline itself. And let me show you that. Let's take the words that are there already. There's a that and three what's. The that we already read, that you may know, and it's going to tell us three things that he wants us to perceive or know. Three what's. So I'm going to take it. I'm going to diagram it now differently. So I'm going to take these words that are right here out of our passage, and I'm going to put them on another slide in a diagram that makes us, helps us understand better the that and the three what's. I call this the three what light bulb. Some of you will get that when you get home. The three what light bulb, okay, because that's what happened. He says, I want you to be enlightened so that you can perceive and you can see something you didn't see before. And those three things are the hope, the riches, and the power. These are the words directly out of the passage, so you can read it right out of your text. The first one is the hope to which he has called you. Now, sometimes we use the word hope to refer to a wish. I hope I'm going to get a new whatever for Christmas. That's a wish. That's not what's used here. This is the idea of a, a certainty, a realized certainty, that it exists out there. And the idea here is that God has given us a hope that provides something very special for us. When the light comes on and we realize we have this hope, it changes the way we live. So you're standing in line at Burger King, and you start chuckling. <laughs> and someone says, why are you laughing? He says, oh, I just remembered that I'm not going to hell when I die. That's the hope here that we're talking about, you see. This is the hope to which he has called us, this fixed certainty that we have in our relationship with him. It's all this this beauty that God wants to provide for us, we have now. He has called us to experience this hope right now. In the midst of our challenge, in the midst of our struggle, in the midst of the path that we need to take, whatever it is, he's given us hope. This is one of the what's that he wants us to perceive and know when the light bulb comes on. And he's called us to this. This is what he's called. This is part of our calling. It's this hope. Our world needs hope today. We even live in a world that's lost hope. Or they're putting their hope in the wrong things. We have a hope that's not just a wish. We're not just wishing for things to get better. We have a hope that we know what God is doing. It lives with inside of us so we're not contaminated by all of the stuff that's going on. 
that changes our attitude. Our, ho- our attitude is based on the hope that God has given to us, that he has called us to this hope. That's the first thing, this certainty, this hope. The second one is the riches of his glorious inheritance of the, of the saints. This is one of the amazing things to me about the Bible and about life is that God has chosen to invest in us. Wow. He's given us so much riches. And when we understand the riches that God has given to us, the glorious inheritance of the saints, this really big riches, it causes us to live differently because we have already have our riches. We don't have to fight for them, and, and we can be kind, and we can be gracious. We have already have what we need. We have this riches in Christ that is so beautiful. And we, when we understand that when the light switch goes on and we recognize we have the riches, we go, okay. I can relax a little bit. I don't be so, so stretched out about life because I have the riches of the glorious inheritance in the saints. William Randolph Hearst was a, quite a rich man, and he built in California this big mansion. It's called the Hearst Castle. It has 138 bedrooms. I don't know why you would need 138 bedrooms, but it has 140 bathrooms. I don't know why you need that many bathrooms either. But he builds this huge, it's called the Hearst Castle. And as it was being constructed, he commissioned uh, one of his employees to find these paintings that he was familiar with. I want you to find these paintings and pay whatever you need to pay for them to put them into my mansion is what he wanted. The employee goes out and he he does all this research to find where these paintings are. And he comes back and he says to Mr. Hurst, I can't buy these paintings for you. Mr. Hurst says, look, I'll pay whatever they want. And the employee says, I can't buy them for you because you already own them. They're in your warehouse all wrapped up. That's where we found them. Now, I think that's what's true in our lives, too. There's this riches. We sometimes don't realize we have them. We're out there trying to find riches. We're trying to find what we want, but we realize when the light switch comes on, that we already have the riches. It changes the way we live. That's why Paul's praying this. Lord, I pray that they'll have the hope because that'll change the way they live. I pray that they'll have the riches. That'll change the way they live. And I pray that they'll have this immeasurably, immeasurable greatness of his power. And the rest of the passage is going to tie into this power idea. And there's a lot of verses now that are going to describe this immeasurable greatness of his power. Greatness is the word mega. In fact, I'm going to just throw out a bunch of words here that are Greek words. You don't have to write them all down, but I just want you to see he's giving us this flurry of of power words here. Immeasurably greatness of his power. That's dunamis power. We get our word dynamite toward us who believe. That's what he wants us to understand. He wants us to recognize we do have the power to be able to live under the pressure that we're living right now We do have the power to make the changes that we need to make in our lives right now. We do have the power to overcome an addiction if we're struggling with some kind of an addiction or wrong thinking or we're we're struggling in life in one way or another. We have the power to do that. But we must understand it's different than what the world says because the world says, I got this. That's a mistake. I don't got this. I only got this because the Holy Spirit's got me. And it's the power of the Holy Spirit in my life that enables me to have the power. So imagine this. It's like, well, let's go to the next word here. The working, it's the word energy. It's like plugging in 
the plug into the outlet, and so now the energy flows into me. So now I have this power, and I can enjoy this power that God has. It's not just me saying, okay, willpower, I'm just going to do, and I'm going to get this done. No, it's somehow saying, I just am powerless here unless I rely on the Lord. This is one of the 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 turn-the-switch moments where I realize, okay, I don't have to have all the power because it's flowing in me, it's working in me of His great might. Volcanic power is the idea. That He worked, and this is the same work that's mentioned earlier in the line there, energeo, He worked it in Christ when He raised Him from the dead. Now, this is a switch. I mean, if you were a Hebrew boy or girl growing up in a Hebrew family, you would be told about the power of God. El Shaddai of the Old Testament. El Elyon, God Most High. And when you learn about the power of God in the Old Testament, you'd be drawn to creation. That would be one thing. God is so powerful, He can create the whole world. Or you'd be drawn to the rescue of the Israelites from the Egyptian army through the Red Sea and then taking them all through and then into the Promised Land. That's all the power of God being demonstrated. It's a great study. And every time we we read one of those stories in the Old Testament. We read them and we pause and we ask the question, what do you think is going to happen next? Because then God's power is revealed. And then we ourselves can go away and say, wow, I need that power in my life. There's a sense of anticipation that takes place when we stop the story. I love to stop the story with kids. Say, what do you think is going to happen next? Because we're creating the sense of, of anticipation. God is going to do something big. And I think God wants to do something big in each one of our lives. There's a sense of anticipation built into this prayer that that Paul is praying for these guys. It's anticipation that big things are going to take place. That's why there's this flurry of power words here. He's working of his mighty, great might, but he worked not referring now to the El Shaddai of the Old Testament, but now in Christ as he raised him from the dead. This is why Easter is so powerful. This is why we're going to celebrate the power of of the resurrection on Easter Sunday because that's what we reflect on when we think of God's mighty power that he wants to make available to you and me. Wow. I need that power. We all need that power every day to face the challenges of our lives. Some need that power just to get out of bed in the morning. Others need that power as they start to face the challenges through the day. Or maybe you have a difficult decision to make in your life. Or maybe you're struggling with a temptation that you need power over. God wants to provide you with that power. And it's a mighty power. And it's based in the fact that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. That's the kind of resurrection power that God offers to us. And he throws four more power words in there. And he seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion. And above every name that is named. Jesus Christ isn't just the improved version of something. There's nothing like Jesus Christ. His name is above every other name. It's so great. Not only in this age, by the way, but also in the one to come. So I just got to really get a picture here. This is big power, very important power that God wants to provide for us. He wants the light switch to come on in our lives so that we'll be enlightened, we'll perceive the three what's, the hope, the riches, and the power in our lives. This power is so valuable and important. And then he says in verse 22, interesting statement to put at the end of this whole thing about power for our lives. He says, and he put all these things under his feet and gave him 
as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. See, God's church would be like a limp rag doll without the head. But God has given all of this power to Christ. Christ is the head, and he brings the church alive. So Paul is saying, this is where the church gets its power. It's not from its program. It's not from its attendance. It's not from its good ideas. The church gets its power from the head, which is Christ. This is big. You don't want to miss the power that God has given to his church because God has chosen the church to be the change agent for our world today. In the Old Testament, he chose a family that became a nation. And through all your descendants, all the nations will be blessed, God says to Abraham. It was through a family. But now God has chosen the church to be this vehicle to transform the world. The problem is the church is made of imperfect people. One person says, I love Jesus. It's his people that give me the creeps. <laughs> I understand that. There are imperfect people in the church. But don't let that stop you from being a part of this entity that God wants to empower because it's in the church that God has done this big thing. You notice the last words he said, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. In other words, there's this completeness that takes place when Christ is the head of the church. He makes this church such a powerful force that we can embrace in our lives. This is big. And that's why Paul is praying that these three things be present in our lives because we need to understand this idea. Do you know what's going to happen next? I do not know what's going to happen next. We pray sometimes, don't we? We pray, Lord, thank you for this day. Do you start your prayers that way? I think that's an okay way to pray. A lot of people, that's just how they, it's like they say amen at the, the end. They just say, Lord, thank you for this day. That's how they start their prayers. I think that's good. I think we should thank God for this day. But that doesn't mean we know what's going to happen. We thank God for this day because this is a special day, and although I don't know what's going to happen this day, I know God who does know what's going to happen, and he's flipping on the light switch for me so that I can recognize his power and the riches and the hope that he has for me. 300 men with Gideon, they went out and led this battle, and the Bible says they were exhausted by the end of that battle. Oh, God did some miracles, and the, and the army started fighting, the other army started fighting against itself, and all these 120,000 men died. 300 men. Why did God only want 300? Because he wanted them to realize it was his power, not theirs, that brought about the victory. And God wants to do those kinds of things in our lives. He wants us to know that the power is his. We plug into it, but we want to give him the glory because he's the one who obtains the victory in our lives, and we all need it, don't we? Amen. Would you stand with me and let's pray together. And Father, we ask you today for the victory. We ask that you'd enlighten us, give us the perception that we would recognize who you are, and we would recognize what you've already given us. Lord, we need that. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to stand tall as we leave this place today with the confidence of, that we have your riches and we have your hope and we have your power that, that accompany us all through our lives and we can trust you in everything that we do. Lord, we do love you so much and we ask that you would be honored in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for sharing in this message. We pray it will make a difference in your life. Please consider joining us for our Sunday morning and evening worship services 
For location and more information, visit our website, www.gracewaybc.org, and listen next time to learn more. May the God of peace richly bless you through his Son, Jesus Christ.